How many of you guys noticed the craziness that we experienced? I'm not talking about Thursday of cooking turkeys and you know, making sure we had enough place settings and things like that. I'm talking about the craziness that takes place Thursday night and Friday called, used to be called Black Friday. Now it's Black Thursday afternoon, Black Friday, or, you know, morning, Friday evening, whatever, as much as they can get a hold of you. And so I told Jenny, I said, I am not, I am not going to buy into this. I'm not going to run off and chase these things. I'm not going to fight people to get in the store. I'm not going to freeze standing in line and all, you know, I was determined. So Friday morning, I, I get up and I'm, I do my routine normally on Friday mornings, my day off, and it's Black Friday. And I normally take my phone and I sit there with a book. I read, I read my Bible, I read my book, I highlight, I do all this. You know, sometimes it can be a curse to read your Bible on your phone. Just so you guys know, it can be a curse. So I'm sitting there, notification after notification, Black Friday sale. And I'm like, I don't care. You know, I'm, 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 I'm in the zone. I'm going to do my thing. And then, and then uh, before long, some, you know, in the, the places that you follow and the stores that you like to go to, they know how to target you. You know what I'm saying? They're going to, whatever you search before for, for that fishing pole or tackle box or that tool or that deal or whatever, it comes right up on your phone and said, hey, dude, today it's on sale. And then up in the corner, it had a clock that was counting down telling you how fast you had to get to it before. And then they have a thing down in the corner that says only five left. Only four left. Now, I, I don't even know if that's true. I, I think it just has a, a computer program to click it down. But in your heart, it puts this sense of urgency of like, I've got to do it before long. I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not reading my book. I mean, I'm, I'm not doing anything. I am, I'm hard into this search, making sure that I'm not missing out on one deal. The very thing that I said I was not going to do. Now, I didn't, I didn't even leave my, my house, but they got me in my living room. You talk about big brother watching you, dude. I'm telling you, this is serious stuff. A couple of weeks ago, I got into this thing about how we were created for worship. And today, I, I want to bring you with this same subject, how we are, I don't know, I, there's a battle for our worship. There's a war for your worship. Now, I'm going to do what I did and pick up a little bit on before, but I, I want you guys to turn in your Bibles to Exodus. And I, I've got a couple of passages in Exodus that I'm going to bring you to. And uh, I, I want you guys to see, so Exodus 32, I'm actually going to bring you deeper in the story and then pull you back. And I know this is weird to be talking about worship because normally when we talk about worship, we're, we're, we're going to do worship and we're going to talk about, hey, let's talk about singing. Hey, singing is a byproduct of worship. Listen, if there is nothing going on in your heart, the core, the root, then there's nothing truly going to come out of your lips that is truly worship. It has to start with a relationship has to come from your heart. What God wants first and foremost is a relationship, a love, a, a connection with you in your heart. If you have a relationship with God, then yes, then you can truly worship. So this is what Adam and Eve was created for. I, I, I like going back to the beginning. I did this last week. So let me, they, they were created by God to walk with God, to worship with God, to talk with God. Man, where did they hear the instructions from God? 
where did they learn about all of God's creation? You can imagine God saying, Adam, come here, let me show you. Man, watch this sunset. You realize that Adam and God walk together? I can't even imagine. You talk about going back to the original intent of why I was created. Why am I here? God said, just study Genesis 1, I'll tell you. You were created to be with me. You were created to talk to me. You were created to enjoy what I created. You were created for a relationship with God. We uh, illustrated this by talking about how God created everything. And it says, God, G-O-D or Elohim, said, let there be light, let there be trees, let there be water. But when God created man, it changed the name of God to Lord God, which was all capitals, which literally meant Jehovah. And anytime we read Jehovah in the Bible, that is a personal, hands-on connection, relationship with God. So it was never meant to be the God upstairs or the big guy upstairs. It was meant to be the God that I walk with, I talk with, that I share my heart with. That was a relationship that he wanted. We saw that in Genesis 2, 7, when he said, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. God literally put his hands on the dirt, began to form him, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul in the image of God. Personal. Now, you know, Satan stepped in, and this is where the battle for worship began. He could not stop us. I want you guys to get that. He could not stop us from worshiping God. And let me tell you, Satan's not going to win that war today. You, you can imagine one day you waking up and Satan coming up to you saying, let's, let's just throw a random scenario out. Okay, let's say it's Friday morning on Black Friday. Okay, I'm just going to throw that one out there. Let's say the guy we're talking about is Tony. Satan's not going to come up to me and say, hey, dude, I got an idea. Why don't you not worship God today? And I'll look at him and say, dude, that's crazy. You know, I don't know if you have those kind of conversations and you say, I don't. Well, that's because that's not how he works. But he is going to come up to you and just throw other things to get your attention. To yell off to the side with an ad or a party or a relationship or whatever and say, hey, hey, hey. And before long, you're not worshiping either in church or your living room or with your Bible or in prayer. You're over there chasing whatever it is that he's distracted us with. That's why he slithers up on the tree or wherever he was at and said, yay, did God really say? Tempting him, messing with their minds, throwing him, throwing them off. And you say, what was his motive from the beginning? And then I thought of this actually this morning, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in whom the God of this world, you think about that. Who are we supposed to worship? I'm asking you guys, interaction here. Who are we supposed to worship? God. We were created to worship God. Do you know how Satan is introduced of being in this world? God, not the Elohim, not Jehovah, but as a God. Do you know what every God wants? Attention, loyalty, and worship. Let me prove it to you. Jesus was born of flesh, dwelt among us. Age 30, he begins his public ministry. A lot of you guys know his public ministry started actually in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, Jesus fasts 40 days and 40 nights. 
Who shows up in the middle of the worship that Jesus was having with his father? Fasting 40 days, 40 nights, and what happens? Satan comes up and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt not worship the Lord, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. I'm going to throw a crazy question at you guys. If Satan has the guts in the middle of Jesus' worship of fasting and prayer to his father, if Satan has the guts to walk up to the Son of God and tempt him to worship him instead of God, do you think you are above the same temptation? Do you think Satan's done tempting people in this way? You know what he did at the beginning? The Bible says, and Jesus fasted 40 days and hungered. Now, would you be hungry after 40 days? Some of you guys are hungry after 40 minutes. You sat at the table. Don't, don't argue this because you sat at the table Thursday, whatever time that was. You ate till you hurt. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on that because I know, mo- I'm, I'm serious. You ate till you hurt. Even some of you going to the table with your stretchy pants on still ate till you hurt. And then somebody says, hey, I think I'm too full for dessert. And you raise your hand and say, I think I could get a piece of that. You weren't too, why is it that we do that? It, it, we, we've got to understand that our flesh is so weak and Satan stepped up to Jesus and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights and said, hey, turn these stones into bread. Offering something physical to deter him from something spiritual. I, I'm, I'm trying to lay the groundwork because I, I think sometimes with what we're going to study today, we put ourselves above this. I'm trying to prove the point. There is a battle for your worship. And you say, no, there's not. If you say, no, there's not, you've already lost it. Because if you're not fighting, I promise you, he's already got you. And through the life that we live, if we don't understand consciously that Satan is after us all the time to get us to stop worshiping God, not by telling us to stop worship God, by putting our attention on anything and everything other than God. So we go forward after the creation of man and get to the end of Genesis. And you guys know Joseph was sold into slavery. He goes to Egypt 400 years later. They're still in Egypt. By this time, the Pharaoh that is, is up in power knew not Joseph, knew not his power, knew not his family. The children of Israel then adapted the society and they become slaves to the idolatry that is in the land. They're slaves. Pharaoh is one of them. He has all these false gods. This literally was a land of false worship. You talk about the imagery, and you say, man, I'm glad America's not like the today. I'm here to tell you guys, it's a lot like that. You, you would walk through Egypt, and you'd find statues the size of literally skyscrapers built to their gods. You would find the pyramids. You'd find all those other things that they erected to be able to put their pharaohs in because they worshiped people. They worshiped stuff. And everywhere you looked, when you'd go into Egypt, it was just false gods and false worship everywhere. Let me tell you, that's exactly what we have today. 
We cannot drive down the road without a billboard saying you need stuff, you need more, don't be content. Here, here's a distraction, here's something to take your time, here's something to take your money, here's something to take your passion. It's everywhere. Let me ask you, did it affect them? Does it affect us? I'm being serious. Being in America and our worship of saying, man, I worship the one true God. I want you to look at Exodus 32 and I'm going to get back to our story. I just, I, I want you guys to see this battle for our hearts. And the Bible talking about be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Constantly, the world is trying to take our minds to wrap it around the worship and the desire for things, anything and everything to pull us away. See, the transform was from the inside out. The conform literally means like, a, like out of pressure. You need to look this way. You need to act this way. You need to live this way. Did it affect the children of Israel? Watch this. So Moses goes up on the mount. And uh, to meet with God, one true God. God gave them ten, ten plagues. Man, the power of God was there. Pillar of fire comes up in the sky. They're following out. They're saying, man, we worship the one true God. They come to the mountain. Moses says, I'm going to go meet with God. He goes up on the mountain. It takes longer than what they thought. You know what they do? They gather around and say, guys, this is taking a lot longer than what we thought. Maybe we should pray to the one living God. Is that what happened? Oh, this is crazy. This is crazy. I, I, I read this and I'm thinking, what in the world? And when the people saw in Exodus 32, 1, and the people saw that Moses delayed come down out of the mountain, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For is this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt? We wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto him, Break off the, 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 the golden earrings which are in thy ears of, our, of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graven tool. After that he had made a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt." Every time I read this, I think, how crazy is that? I'd ask you guys, without raising hands, if you went through seeing all that God did, and you were the children, the chosen children of Israel, and you knew that God was good, and God was faithful, and God did all those things, and that fact that every time Pharaoh looked to a statue or a god or a frog or a cow, God turned around and knocked them down dead. The Nile River... The cattle, the sun, the moon, everything. God said, no, don't worship them, they're dead. Don't worship them, they're false. Don't worship them, they have no power whatsoever. And the power of God overrode them ten times in a row. And I saw it. And the first thing that I do when I'm in a spot that things don't make sense is I build up my own false God and fall down and worship something rather than God? How many of you guys would say that is beyond crazy before you judge them? 
Let me, let me write it like this. What is an idol? An idol is anything that we hold up above God. An idol is anything. You say, I would not do that with a golden calf. No, we wouldn't. But we would do that with sports. We would do it with money. I, I would do it with so many other things. And the thing about it is, I will come in the church and say, God, I surrender all. And you're number one. And God, I love you more than anything. And God, you are my everything. And in my flesh, from being in the pressure of this world and being around me, we're being indoctrinated all the time. In the first moment they had, just, just like that, they turned around and said, hey, let's worship something else. I thought, man, how much of us Living in America have been indoctrinated so fast with these things. I tell you, we're about to get into Christmas time. You know what we say, Jesus is the reason for the season. But watch how easily shopping and traditions and, and Santa and characters and parties and everything else automatically takes our focus right off Christ. Am I against those things? No. You should go shopping. You should get gifts. You should celebrate. You should have family over. But I tell you, make sure that your focus is all about God. There's a constant battle for our hearts and a constant battle for our, our worship. And Satan is constantly surrounding us all the things to where all of a sudden that pressure cooker around us is forming us in the image of something we're not meant to be. And then when we get into it, it naturally came out. Did you notice Nobody said that, form a golden calf, that's ridiculous. Nobody did that. To the point where even Aaron rose up and said, what are we going to do? I got an idea, bring me all the gold. I mean, just like that. Don't trust your flesh. Don't. Don't ever say, I would not do that. Don't ever say that I, I, I've got it all worked out. Don't ever say that because our flesh so easily in those situations from the fact that they were indoctrinated from living in Egypt all those years, they became adapted to the ways of the world. You get around something long enough, we adapt to the ways of the world. We do it. Now, now notice this. Exodus, Moses comes down. You want to know how God feels about this? Anything that detracts us from worship on, 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 in our hearts and our minds at Christmas or whatever? Exodus 32, verse 20. And he took the calf which they had made and, the, and burnt it in fire and grounded it in a powder and strutted upon the water and he made the children of Israel to drink it. You talk about what God did. God said, tear it down. Get it out. Rip it out. I mean, God was like, I don't want any part of that. None. Exodus 34, verse 12. Look, look at what he says here. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of them. Hey, beware. Hey, beware, because I'll tell you, wherever you live, wherever you dwell, it's easy to happen. It's easy to become conformed to the society and all of a sudden we get married and fall in love with the things of this world rather than things of God. It says, but ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, cut down their groves, for thou shalt worship no other God. 
for the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, for the one you have a relationship with whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Let me tell you about our Christmas coming up. God doesn't want to share the glory with anybody. God doesn't want the glory going to, or the attention or the praise or the worship or anything else going any other place outside of God. He said he wants his attention back. So I'm going to bring you back actually to the close, but I'm going to give you my three points this morning about this battle for worship and go back to where we started in Exodus 5.1. Let me show you what Satan was trying to do. Let me show you when, when God stepped in and said, free my people so that they can go worship. Free them from this obsession with, with the world and the, the idolatry and the brainwashing that's there. Listen to this. And afterwards Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. So God goes into their darkness, into their junk, into the all adultery and says, Hey, let my people go. Literally meaning, I want to take my people out of this. You realize what God did when he saved us? He stepped into the world to die on the cross to save us out of the false worship, the false passion, the things that never bring fulfillment. Can I go back to the story a minute ago? This just came to my mind. All right, so they build up a calf, a golden calf. Do you guys know that gold is heavy? Yeah. It's heavy. Not that I have a lot of it to prove it, okay? But I mean, from what I hear, gold is heavy. So now they have this golden calf that they're going to bring with them. Would that be easy? Here they're going to haul this thing and bring this as a weight through the wilderness. Hold and hang on to something that would do nothing, answer nothing, have no power, have no answers, and have no guidance in their life. But they're going to hold on to it. Look at our new God. After the God that brings them no burdens, that gives them food, gives them light, parts the sea, drops their enemies, they turn their back on them to hold on something that does nothing but weigh them down. Back to the bondage. You know what Satan does? He loves to stick stuff in our lives that take our attention off God and does nothing but weigh you down. So here's this war about to go on. So let me paint this scenario. Let's put Pharaoh as Satan, okay? The one that wants the attention on himself, the one that wants to keep us in bondage, the one that's arrogant and pompous and he wants all the attention and everything placed on himself. Let's, let's paint him as being Satan. Let's say he's negotiating with the people of God saying, I'll, I'll, I'll make a deal. And he walks up to him and he says, hey, let us go worship. Now, I love this uh, passage here where it says, let us go make a feast. You know what the word feast means? It means to march sacred, to observe in a festival, to be giddy, to celebrate, to dance, to, to have a feast. It even means like a holiday. It, it literally means when we gather in church and we celebrate who God is. We gather at Christmas time to read the gospel story and tell our kids that our blessings come from God. And, and Jesus was born in a manger to die on our sins. And we celebrate. He said, let us go celebrate let us go worship our God. Pharaoh's response, and he said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? 
I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Well, you guys know what happens. The plagues begin and things like this and the battle for worship breaks out. Who is going to worship? I'm going to keep them for myself or are they going to go worship the one true God? Flip Exodus 8 chapter verse 24. Exodus 8 24. Notice how Pharaoh tries to cheapen their worship. Now I, I love these points. I love how God shows us this in the middle of this. And the Lord did so. And they came grievous swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into the servant's house, into all the land of Egypt. And the land was corrupt by reason of the swarm of flies. And Pharaoh called Moses and said unto Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice your God to your God in the land. Now we're looking at that as like a victory. Let me tell you, Satan never gives up that easy. Never gives up that easy. What he loves to do is manipulate, twist, try to get into your mind and compromise what we're supposed to do. That's what he does. That's how he works. So all of a sudden, Pharaoh's like, all right, I'll make you a deal. That's what Satan does. I'll, I'll, let's just compromise in the middle of this. And Moses said, verse 26, and Moses said, it is not meat for us to do, for we shall sacrifice the abominations of Egypt to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abominations of Egypt before their eyes? Will they... And will they not stone us? We will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he has commanded us. You see what he was negotiating there in that passage is he said, hey, I'm going I'm to let you guys worship, but you're going to worship right here. I, I don't want you leaving. I don't want you getting out of bondage. I want you to stay in the bondage. I want you to stay in the world. I want you to stay in the idols and I want you to worship right here. Here's the first thing we need to know. You cannot worship God in bondage. You cannot worship God in bondage. Have you ever thought why God did that? God said, hey, I want, I want to take you out of that bondage and lead you three days into the wilderness, and there you can worship. Satan comes back and says, no, just stay right where you're at and worship there. I want to get real with you guys for a minute, okay? If we cannot worship God in our bondage, it means that there can be no true worship in our sin. You say, I, I come to church and I feel nothing. I, I, I don't understand. They, they stand up, they get excited. I see person over here crying, this person over here lifting their hands, this person over here getting excited, all this other stuff. I just don't get it. Let me tell you, if you were in bondage, you're never truly going to experience worship. It doesn't work that way. When I describe as for bondage, all the things that the world tells us that's okay, all the things that the world says is good, living in bitterness, being mad at other people, hatred, lust, fornication, whatever it is, living wrong, whatever, you cannot live and sin and truly worship God. But I love how Satan's throwing this out there. Satan turned around and said, hey, yes, you can. You can worship God right from where you're at. You know what God did? God saved me to pull me out of the junk, not to keep me in the junk. Amen. And it's never going to work any other way. I'll tell you, I don't care what culture says, what society does, and everything else. We've got to be conscious to understand if we don't live by the Bible, we cannot live right. And if we do not learn to live right, there is no way we're going to gather a place like this and truly worship our God. It's not going to work that way. And I thought, why in the world? I, I am Pharaoh sitting there saying, I mean, he could have just said no, but he turned around and throws out this compromise going, hey, I've got an idea. Hey, I, why, 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 don't you just, why don't you just stay shacked up like that? 
and try to worship God? Why did you stay in that sin of hating your brother or your sister and worship God? God will understand, hey, it's a, and, and, and all of a sudden we're sitting there going, I'm unfulfilled, I'm unhappy, this isn't right. That's right, it's not right. If we have the truth, we shall be set free. And free indeed. I don't care how the world changes around us. The Bible says, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. cannot serve God and false gods. You cannot worship God and be in sin. This is how we like to do it. God draws a line of what's right and wrong. I want to live this way on Friday and worship God on Sunday. And God says it does not work. Notice what else. Exodus 8, 28, Pharaoh said, I will let you go that they may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Listen to this. Only you shall not go very far away and treat for me. God says, that ain't going to work. So Satan comes back and says, all right, all right. You said, Pharaoh, no, say, here it is, a man wanting the worship, wanting it not to be on God, not, not to be the way that God intended for it to be. Notice the second thing. You can't have worship without unity. Exodus 10, verse 8. Watch what happens. He throws out another thing. And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh. And he said to them, go serve the Lord your God. But listen, but who are they that shall go? So oh, who, who are you going to bring with you as you do this? And Moses said, we will go forth with our young and with our old and with our sons and with our daughters. With our flocks and with our herds, we will go. And we must hold a feast unto the Lord. And he said unto them, let the Lord be so with you as you is. I will let you go. And your little ones, look to it, for evil is before you. Notice his response, verse 11. Not so. Go now, ye that are men, and serve the Lord, for ye desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Pharaoh's response is, I'll tell you what, all of you men can go. But I want you to keep your little ones and your babies and your kids here. I want you to be separated. Why is it that when we try to serve God and worship God, that the first thing that Satan tries to do is charge a, put a wedge between us and the ones that we love? Or a wedge between us and those. You notice what it said, the young and the old. Our children and our families. Let me tell you, the same way that we cannot worship with sin, we cannot worship God with the vision. And as much as we want to sit there and think that we can work it out in our own way, God comes back and says, it does not work that way. Let me tell you, try coming in here. If any of you ever had a fight with your spouse on the way to church before, raise your hand right now. Raise your hand. Higher, higher, higher. Okay. How many of you it was today? Raise your hand. I want to see it. No, don't. You don't have to do that. Then you walk in the church. Something magical happens in the parking lot. I don't know what it is, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God or whatever, because you're arguing like crazy. And then you get out of the car, grab their hand. Good morning, brothers and sisters. How are you guys? Because you've got to put up that facade that everything is okay. You say, how do you fix that, Pastor Tony? You drive separately. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm going to get myself. I'm back to worship. Satan's trying to distract us this morning. (laughs) Try walking into that church, grabbing their hand, 
and worship your God. It does not happen because your mind is everywhere else. God tries to do that with our kids or the, Satan tries to do that with our kids. He tries to do it, let me tell you, with generations in the church of what we like and what we don't like and what is right and what is not right and what, what is this and all this other stuff. Constantly trying to divide, to kill the worship. Why in the world, and I, I know he was trying to weaken them and trying to hold them back and trying to have restraint on them, but his, his goal is, I'll tell you what, you do it my way. No, it's only God's way or no other way. We do it God's way or no other way. Does not work when we negotiate with the devil and we compromise and we live in sin. It does not work when we're divided. And the last thing, you cannot have worship without full surrender. Exodus 24, uh, 10, 24, and Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, go ye, serve the Lord. Listen to this. All right, go ahead. Go, go, go. You could do this under my conditions. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. Let me close with this. Read verse 25. And Moses said, thou must give us also sacrifice of burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto our God Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not be a hoof be left behind. For thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God. And we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. He says, all right, go ahead and go. But you keep your stuff behind. Moses boldly stands up and says, hey, by the way, none of my stuff belongs to you, Pharaoh. Everything we own belongs to God. And if we're going to go into the wilderness to worship, I'm going to bring everything with us. And he said, by the way, when we get there, I'm going to take what I have that God has blessed us, and I'm going to sacrifice that unto my God. You realize how much we've compromised our worship with God? We either live in sin and try to worship. God says it doesn't work that way. We try to be divided and worship, and God says it does not work that way. We try to sit there and hold back from God, and God says, no, it all belongs to me. It's God's way or no way. Now, let's be honest. How many of us still have our hearts left in Egypt? We're so blinded by the stuff. We're so distracted by the world. We come in here thinking that we're serving God, and yet we hate somebody in the church. We think we're serving and worshiping God when we sit there and say we can't even get along with other people. We drag our sin into our worship, and all of a sudden we think that's okay. I've been called out, separated, loved on, died for, to live for my God. And all that I have belongs to God. But I want to wrap things up and go back to the very beginning. Do you understand that you were, you were, Jesus died on the cross for a personal, personal relationship with you? And maybe you're a guest with us and you came here from out of town and you thought, man, I thought this was going to be about Thanksgiving. This is about Thanksgiving. But we've got to get to the point in our heart that Christmas is about Jesus Christ and our giving is about Jesus Christ. Our serving is about Christ. It's all about God. But if you don't know him in that way, I'm going to blow you out of the water with something. God did not send his son to die on a cross for religion. He came to die for a relationship. 
It's not about entering and exit a church and you say, I haven't been to church in a year. I'll tell you, Jesus didn't die so that you can go to church. He died that you can have a relationship with him. You have a relationship with him. The church thing will follow naturally from your heart because you want to be with him and worship him and love him and be around God's people. But it's not about going to church. It's not about being good. It's not about being baptized. It's not about going through the routines. It's not about all those things. It's a question, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ?